Father, thy word is a lamp to our path and a light to our feet. You have spoken. We will hear it. We will endeavor to do what it says. Father, give strength. Give us ears to hear and hands that are quick and feet that are quick to obey your word for your glory, for your kingdom, for Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever been watching a gripping movie? Or perhaps reading a, a page-turning novel, the, the you-can't-put-it-down kind of novel, and you get to the end, and it has a bad ending. The, the author had it go into just be every bit of a classic and twists and turns of plot that you didn't see coming. But in the end, he or she just didn't pull it together, and it really wasn't very good after all. You know, it's not easy to end a great story. Well, think about the gospel. How do you end the greatest story ever told? How do you, how do you finish the good news that Emmanuel, God with us, was born of a virgin, grew into a man, taught with power and authority beyond imagination, healed the sick, raised the dead, stilled the storms, forgave sins, proclaimed heaven and hell, died on a cross so that all who believe in him could have heaven, and finally he exploded forth from the grave never to die again. How do you wrap up a story like that? What more can you say? Well, today we're going to look at the last five verses in the Gospel of Matthew, and the ending is perfect. Would you please turn to Matthew 28 and follow along as I read verses 16 to 20. I have titled this, The End That Never Ends. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Follow along, please. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Verses 16 and 17 there, Matthew sets the scene. Jesus had commanded these men a a few verses earlier back in in verse 10 to, to return to Galilee from Jerusalem and to meet him, excuse me, on a certain mountain. And Jesus had promised to meet them there, and he's there. Jesus is alive. And as you put together the various gospel accounts, after his resurrection, Jesus appeared at least ten times in a wide variety of circumstances and different places. He showed his followers that he was alive, he wasn't a ghost, he wasn't a spirit, he was real, genuine, alive, flesh and blood. He invited doubting Thomas to to place his fingers into the nail holes in Jesus' hands and to place his hand into the wound in his side. He ate fish with his disciples on the shores of Galilee. And 1 Corinthians 15, 6 
tells us that Jesus appeared to more than 500 people at one time. And many Bible scholars believe that this scene in Matthew 28 is the very time which Jesus appeared to more than 500 people. Verse 16 says, the 11 went up the mountain, but nothing says that it was only the 11. As you see in verse 17, there were some who doubted along with them. And that cannot refer to Thomas because Thomas met Jesus in Jerusalem one week after the crucifixion, and he said to him, my Lord and my God. Thomas was no longer doubting Thomas. Now, this is many days later in Galilee. So in this scene on the mountain, before the 11 at the very least, and perhaps many, many others, the Gospel of Matthew comes to its conclusion with three awesome truths. Each one of them practical, each one of them personal, and each one of them permanent. In these three distinct statements that we'll look at in verses 18 to 20, you'll notice in each one the little word, all. Jesus Christ has all authority, verse 18. The gospel is for all nations, verse 19. We are to teach all things that he taught, verse 20, and he is with us at all times, also in verse 20. And so... The first truth here is the awesome authority of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 18, please. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. How much authority does Jesus Christ have? All authority. Let no one ever say that Jesus Christ was a good teacher, but merely a man. If he was only a man, he could not say, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. A good man who's only a man does not say, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Either he is whom he claimed to be, Almighty God, or he's a lunatic, because just a man cannot say all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Again and again, the Bible reveals the awesome authority of Jesus Christ. Listen to just a, a few verses at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, verses 28 and 29. It says this, the result was that, one, was that when Jesus finished these words, the multitudes were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority, not as their scribes. Jesus taught the word of God with authority because it was his word. No one ever spoke like he spoke. He spoke the words of life. And then in the very next chapter, there's a scene, Matthew 8, 27, in the midst of a great storm on the Sea of Galilee, which is threatening to swamp the boat and drown all the disciples as they are miles from the shore. Jesus speaks two words, be still. And immediately, this great storm stretching for miles across the Sea of Galilee is completely still. And the thrashing waves of water are just clear as ice and smooth. Matthew 8, 27. 
The men marveled, saying, What kind of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? He had all authority over the winds and the sea and the storm. And then in the very next chapter, Matthew 9, 6, Jesus says, But in order that you may know that the Son of Man, that's Jesus, has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, Rise, take up your bed, and go home. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins, and the scribes who were sitting there listening to this called it blasphemy, because who can forgive sins but God alone? Then the very next chapter, Matthew 10.1, having summoned his 12 disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. How could Jesus give his disciples the authority to cast out demons and the authority to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness? Well, he could give them that authority because he had that authority. He taught with authority. He healed with authority. He cast out demons with authority. He spoke to the wind and the waves with authority. And this theme of his authority continues throughout the Gospels. Even at his trial, as Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, who was the supposed authority, Jesus spoke to him with absolute authority. From the cross, Jesus spoke with authority, as he said in part, Today you shall be with me in paradise. He rose from the dead with authority. John ten eighteen. Jesus says, No one has taken my life away from me but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. And so even the cross and the resurrection proclaim the authority of Jesus Christ. What's the first great truth? At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, all authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and on earth. Listen to 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, Colossians 1. 15 to 18. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. Then a few verses later, Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. Jesus is over every authority everywhere and anywhere on earth. Now, he never did any of the things we normally associate with great authority. He never made a fortune. He never ran a company. He never wrote a great treatise. He never traveled extensively. He was never elected to office. He never wore a crown, except the crown of thorns. He never commanded an army. He never won a military battle. But he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he has all authority in heaven and on earth. 
Now this is a foundational truth because the next two truths are empty without this one. This is also a personal truth. Jesus Christ has authority over your life and mine. Now that's a stumbling block for many people, but do you understand this? He is God. He is your creator. As a Christian, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price, and he has authority over you and me. But this is also a refreshing and a hopeful truth because he has authority over every trial, every trouble, every person in your life who is a thorn in the flesh. Think of someone or something that is bothering you. Jesus Christ has authority over that person or that situation. And so he will use it for good, for your growth, and for his glory and his great purpose. And so the first lesson at the, the very end of the gospel is that Jesus has awesome authority, all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, the second great truth that that leads to is the awesome responsibility for followers of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 19 in the beginning of verse 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Now, that is an awesome responsibility, and it is given to you and to me. This command is not just for the pastor or the elders. It is not just for the missionaries that we have sent off to a foreign field. It is for all Christians of all times. It applies until the end of the age. Verse verse 20, it continues until the mission is complete. Now, this command, as I'm sure you know, is known as the Great Commission. It has four key parts. The first part Jesus gives us is the motivation for fulfilling the Great Commission. You, you see the word therefore at the beginning of verse 18, 19? Go therefore. Now, I'm sure you've heard it before, but whenever you hear the word therefore in the Bible or see the word therefore, you should ask what it's there for. The word therefore makes a connection to the previous verse. Therefore, because Jesus has this awesome authority, we have this awesome responsibility. If Jesus Christ did not have all authority, verse 18, there would be no need to tell all the nations and make disciples of all the nations in verse 19. Our motivation for carrying out this commission is the authority and majesty of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, King of kings and Lord of lords. Let me tell you about a missionary named John Patton. In the 19th century, John Patton was a missionary to the New Hebrides Islands, which is just a little northeast of Australia. When John and his wife first arrived in New Hebrides, they didn't know the language of the people, who, by the way, were cannibals, All they knew was that other missionaries had gone before them to the New Hebrides and never been heard from again. They knew that death was a very real possibility. A few weeks after they landed in New Hebrides, Mrs. Patton gave birth to a baby, and the baby died at birth. A few days later, 
Mrs. Patton also died. For the next three or four nights, John Patton slept on the graves of his wife and baby to keep the cannibals from digging them up. John Patton remained in the New Hebrides and devoted the rest of his life to preaching the gospel. When he died, it is written that he did not know of a single inhabitant of New Hebrides who had not proclaimed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When he came, there were no Christians. When he died, there were no pagans. What makes a man risk his life, his family, and everything that he has? Since he knows who Jesus Christ is, that Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth, and that he died for you, and he died for me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Moving forward about 100 years, January 8th, 1956, what motivated five young men, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Ed Udarian, Ed McCulley, Roger Udarian, Ed McCulley, and Pete Fleming to risk and lose their lives to the spears of the Alka Indians on the banks of a river deep in the jungles of Ecuador. They knew who Jesus Christ was. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. What motivated Hudson Taylor or Eric Liddell to go to China? Stanley Dale to give his life in New Guinea? Adoniram Judson to suffer for many, many years in Burma? Why are we sending Pastor Andy and Joshua to the Philippines, James and Abby to Asia? Because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ, and we've been given a great responsibility to tell the world. And that's our motivation. That's why we do it, because of who Jesus is. And if you find yourself struggling with your personal responsibility, go back to who Jesus is. He died for you on the cross. He rose from the dead. All authority has been given in heaven and on earth to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is our motivation. Now, the second key part of the Great Commission is our mission, and that is the word go. The word go is not the main verb in this sentence. It's actually a participle, going, or as you go, or perhaps even better because for those of you who are Greek scholars, it's an aorist participle, having gone, after you have gone. Some people, therefore, have suggested that this shouldn't be translated go. It should be translated as you go. While you go, make disciples. But there is a very good reason why almost every Bible translation translates this as simply go. In the Greek language, a participle which comes before an imperative, that's this, carries the weight of the imperative. In other words, go, make disciples. We're commanded to go. But not everyone has to go overseas. Not everyone is commanded to go to Irianjaya or Russia, or Ethiopia, or Kenya. But we all have somewhere to go, perhaps to your neighbor's house, to go to the refugees in our community who want to learn English, to go to the lunch with a coworker, to go to the youth in our community, 
Our mission in the Great Commission is to go, and it is up to us to say, where's God calling me to go? What is my part? The third key part of the Great Commission is our mandate, and that is now the main verb, make disciples. What's a disciple? Well, the word disciple means someone who follows after a master in order to learn from him. And of course, in the Christian context, a disciple is one who follows Jesus in order to learn from Jesus to become like Jesus. The mandate of the Great Commission is not to make church members. The mandate of the Great Commission is not to make religious spectators. The mandate of the Great Commission is not to make unchurched people go to church. The mandate of the Great Commission is not even to make people profess faith in Jesus Christ. The mandate of the Great Commission is not to make people walk an aisle and pray a prayer. The mandate of the Great Commission is to make disciples. Now, disciple in the Bible is another name for a Christian. A Christian tells who we follow, and the word disciple tells how we follow. We follow after Jesus that we might learn to be like him. And nowhere in the Bible does it ever imply or suggest that you can be a Christian without being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Being a Christian is not just a mere intellectual assent to the facts. Yes, I believe that. James says, faith without works is dead. And so in the same way, being a follower of Jesus Christ means being his disciple, becoming like him. Those statements were a little bit controversial at one time about 20 years ago, but the controversy has largely died out. Listen to a few verses from the scriptures that establish this. Acts 9, verses 1 and 2. Now Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Saul was persecuting anyone who belonged to the way. And what are they called in verse 1? They're called the disciples. Or listen to Acts 11 verse 26. When he, that's Barnabas, had found him, that's Saul, he brought him to Antioch. And it came about for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. What's a Christian? It's a disciple. What's a disciple? It's a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. The word Christian, in fact, originally was a, uh, a kind of a put-down term. It was, uh, people were calling them, oh, those little Christs, those Christians. They didn't realize it was a great compliment. May we all be little Christs, following after him, that we may become like him. So the mandate of the Great Commission is to make disciples, to make followers of Jesus Christ who learn from him. And a disciple is not a souped-up 24-valve, fuel-injected, dual-overhead cam, high-performance racing engine version of a Christian. A disciple is the basic model of transportation in the kingdom of God. And I tell you in all sincerity and love, if you're not a disciple, you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you're not a Christian. Now, a disciple doesn't mean that you're perfect. Just look at Peter. 
Or Thomas was a doubting disciple. John Mark was a disciple who turned away on a mission trip because he became afraid. Timothy was at times a timid disciple. Paul and Barnabas were two disciples who got into a severe argument. But being a disciple means a conviction to follow after Jesus Christ and by his grace and by his Holy Spirit to become a little more like him every day. Are you becoming like Jesus Christ? Are you denying yourself, taking up your cross, following him? Our motivation for the Great Commission is the person of Jesus Christ. All authority in heaven and earth is given to him. Our mission is to go. God has placed someone somewhere in your life that you might go tell him or her just a little more about Jesus. Our mandate is to, is to make disciples. And then finally, Jesus tells us how to do it. The manner of the Great Commission is verse 19 and into verse 20, baptizing them and teaching them. We don't make disciples by coercion, by trickery, by threat, or by the sword. Only the Holy Spirit can transform the heart of a man or a woman into the new birth and a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. But we are to be the instruments of the Holy Spirit by teaching and by baptizing. You know, very consistently in the Bible, whenever a person becomes a Christian, the first thing that happens is they are baptized. We baptize in this church in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because we're commanded to right here in the Scriptures. And I would remind you this morning, this afternoon, if you've not been baptized and yet you consider yourself a Christian, why haven't you been baptized? It's the first thing that he commands us to do as his followers. And so if that applies to you, you need to say something to, to me, to one of the other elders, to Pastor Andy, and say, I need to be baptized. And then... Having been baptized, we continue to make and mold disciples by teaching them. That's the second great part of the, the method here, or the manner, is teaching. This is the reason in our church that we emphasize teaching the Word of God. Pastor Andy is not up here on Sunday morning, nor am I up here this morning to entertain us. I am not here to inspire us. We are here to teach what Jesus taught we, taught, we teach his commands, his parables, his promises, his words about serving one another, his principles about loving one another, and all his examples even to the cross. We who follow Jesus Christ need a zeal that is according to knowledge, and so we teach the Word of God. Now again, this is very personal. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this verse gives you the responsibility to be a teacher. We don't all teach up in front of the church, but everybody can teach someone. Find someone who knows a little less about Jesus than you do and tell him, tell her. Go out for coffee with someone and say, let's talk about Jesus. You tell me what you're learning about Jesus, I'll tell you what I'm learning about Jesus. Teach. Parents, Teach your children. Teach a small group. Teach a Sunday school class. Teach. 
You know, we all put a great deal of energy into our homes, our cars, our clothes, our retirement, our business, our jobs, our vacations. How much energy do you put into the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ? How much time? And while I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on anybody, I must admit I'm convicting myself even as I speak those words. How much do you pray for other people's lives to be changed by the Lord Jesus Christ, by your witness, your testimony? Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21, Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Are you storing up treasure in heaven? You know, the only thing you can take with you to heaven is other people. You don't have to be another Billy Graham, but our awesome responsibility is to make disciples. Jesus has no other plan for spreading the gospel to all the nations of the world than that his followers go and teach and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is not going to send the angel Gabriel to blow a trumpet and announce to the whole world that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is not going to raise up another Moses and another Elijah to be his prophets. No, in these last days he has spoken to us through his Son, and his Son has given us the message of reconciliation. We are to go tell the world. So we have seen the awesome authority of Jesus Christ. We've seen the awesome responsibility for the followers of Jesus Christ, and that gives us, brings us to the third great truth here, the awesome guarantee from Christ. Look at the very last sentence in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, don't miss the connection between that and the first two truths. The one who has all authority is with you, even right now and for all the rest of your life, even to the end of the age. The one who sends us to the nations is with us, even to the end of the age. Emmanuel, God with us. And so... You and I will never make disciples by our clever words and our brilliant arguments. We make disciples by the power of Jesus Christ who is with us always. In the biography of the missionary David Livingston, it is said that when his wife died in Africa, he helped prepare her body for burial. He helped make a coffin. He helped lower it into the grave. He helped cover it with earth. And then he opened his New Testament and he read these words. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Then he said to the small group of people gathered around, My friends, the Lord Jesus Christ is too much of a gentleman to ever go back on his word. Let us go on with the task. And so he did. Several years later, as an elderly man, Dr. Livingston was speaking at Glasgow University in Scotland. He was old gaunt, haggard as a result of the hardships of tropical Africa and disease. But even at that age, he announced his resolve to return to Africa without misgiving. 
And he said to the people, would you like, to tell me, like me to tell you what supported me through all the years of exile among a people whose language I could not understand and whose attitude towards me was often uncertain and even hostile? It was this, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He closed with, on these words I staked everything, and they never failed. What's the end that never ends? Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth. It will never end. Jesus Christ has given us an awesome responsibility to make disciples of all the nations. That will not end until he returns. Jesus Christ has given us an awesome guarantee. He is with us every moment until the end of the age. He'll never leave you or forsake you.